I feel uh, very honored this morning to introduce our speaker, uh, Dr. Tom Blackaby. Uh, this church, VCBC, has the privilege of knowing the Blackaby family for a long time since uh, the early 1980s when the Dr. Henry Blackaby was the, um, the director of mission uh, in this uh, local um, association. And he has taught in this church and preached many times. And uh, Dr. Tom's brother, Richard Blackaby, was the, uh, for 10 years, 12 years, uh, the, um, the president of our seminary. And uh, Richard has uh, preached here many times and also led our summer conference uh, uh, a couple of times. Uh, Tom is the, the second son of um, the best-selling author, Dr. Henry Blackaby, who uh, and the uh, experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God. Um, Dr. Tom, he has a, a doctor of ministry from Golden Gate uh, Baptist Seminary. Tom has served as um, associate pastor of music youth education in the four churches and seven years as senior pastor of the North Sea Baptist Church in Stavanger, Norway. He served also as the uh, uh, national worship consultant for Canadian the Southern Baptist or the National Baptist Convention, and uh, he's currently serving as the international director for the Blackaby Ministry International. So over the past four years, uh, Tom has led conferences, seminars, and preaching in the many areas of uh, men's ministry, worship, prayer, experiencing Tom, and uh, experience God, and also has co-authored many books. Tom and Kim has uh, three great uh, kids, and currently live near Vancouver, and they actively serve in the local church. I introduce to you Dr. Tom Blackerby. Is this working? Okay. I need some room for walking around here. Sorry about this. I'm going to do some house reflections for you. I noticed you have a about uh, love, loving one another, love in the church, and uh, because I've most recently written a book about experiencing God's love in the church, I thought I would stay on your theme. The only fear is I'm going to preach something that someone else has preached already, so I have to do it in my own way. I hope that's okay for you. I love to tell stories, though, so I'm at uh, many different stories today, and uh, hopefully put a perspective of God's love that will uh, remind you of what God expects from us. The last book that I wrote was called The Commands of Christ. And uh, when God said in Matthew chapter 28 that we are to um, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, my father liked to ask pastors. He says, so are you this? And uh, many pastors say, of course, we're making disciples. We're discipling. 
says, no, but are you doing what Jesus said? Are you teaching them to observe everything that he commanded? And they say, well, we're teaching the, the Bible. says, no, it says very specifically. Teaching them to observe and implement and practice. Am I going to have to grab a handheld microphone? <laughs> Cutting in and out. Okay. Uh, teaching them to observe and implement and practice everything I have commanded you. And they say, uh, what are you talking about? He says, well, of course, you've done a systematic study of the commands of Christ and are teaching them to your people, aren't you? And they say, we've never thought of that. Well, so I decided to do a systematic study of the commands of Christ, to put it all into a book, and, and make the, the job for pastors a little easier. So they have all of Christ's commands, because if you can follow Christ's commands, you'll, you'll, you'll learn uh, what he expects from his people. So I'm going to this command today, and it's, uh, it comes from John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. I don't know if that's my first slide or not, but we'll see. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And that's uh, what I want to look at today is that second phrase, as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this you will, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one another. So I ask myself, if Christ wants me to love other people as he loved us, how did he love us? I know he, he died on the cross, that's an easy one. But I'm not going to die on the cross tomorrow for you. Uh, uh, I can only do that once, <laughs> and, then, and then I'm done. So uh, I decided to look through the scriptures, finding out different situations where Christ showed love to people. And then I took that as a, as a model for me. So what I'd like to do is, I would like to look at a few stories in the scriptures where Christ showed love and then hopefully apply each of these situations to, to our life. And so, the first story comes, comes to us from John chapter 8. In this story, Jesus is confronted with a very difficult situation. You see, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they were doing their very best to trap him. They, were, they would like to get rid of Jesus because he was causing them a lot of trouble. Uh, he was uh, challenging them many ways. And so they, they were sneaky. And they decided that uh, they would put him in almost an unwinnable situation. They found a woman uh, who was committing adultery. Now, this is a very curious situation right from the start uh, because it says in John chapter 8, verse 3, uh, when the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman uh, who had been caught in adultery, uh, they set her before uh, Jesus and they said, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. I'm, I'm thinking they were in the closet somewhere. I mean, how do they know? Like, where, where, where are they? And my other question is, where's the man? I'm thinking, there's got to be a guy involved here somehow. It looks to me like this is a, this is a very underhanded situation. And um, they, they've thrown this woman. I don't know if she's fully clothed or not. I think that they snatched her out of the house. They were waiting for her. They, they knew she was going to be there. This was not the first time likely this was going on. And so um, they... If they wanted to find a, a woman that was going to be adulterous, they somehow knew that this woman was the one to choose. So they threw her at Jesus' feet, and they said, 
Moses commanded us to stone this woman to death. What do you say? And they said this to test him so they might have a charge against him. But Jesus bent down, began to write in the ground with his finger. Some people speculate Jesus was writing the names of women that they'd had affairs. I don't know. I, I don't think so. Some, some people seem to think that maybe Jesus was writing uh, various sins that they had committed. I, I don't think so. I think what Jesus was doing was, he was saying about his Heavenly Father. He was saying, oh, this is a tough situation. Uh, his life is on the line right now. She may not walk away from here alive. What should I do? He stands up and he, he's got this choice to make, right? He's got to decide between the law and grace, between judgment and love, between righteousness and mercy. The accusers were right. She deserved death. She was a big girl. She was a grown woman. She knew what she was doing. She took the risk. She was caught. And now she's got to pay the price with her life. And so he stands up and he says, you know, guys, you're right committed adultery, she's guilty, there's no question, go ahead and kill her. But uh, whoever among you hasn't sinned, you can throw the first rock. And then I think he bends down and he begins to write in the dirt. And did you notice? Well, he stands up and he says, woman, where are your accusers? Well, they left one by one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, because they realized uh, none of them were without sin. None of them had the right to throw a rock. The only, actually, the only person there that could have thrown a rock was Jesus. <laughs> and he, he says, woman, where are your accusers? Hasn't anyone condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. And Jesus says, woman, get your act together! Well, what are, you, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You're throwing your life away? You're ruining your marriage? You, you've broken your marriage vows? You, you've crashed your family? You've ruined your reputation? Who do you think you are? Get, what are you doing? You uh, adulterer. Actually, he didn't say that. He, uh, I, you know, I think we like to say that. We like to say, who do you think you are? How dare you? act like this. Here, you're, you're, you've ruined everything. Here, you're, you're selfish. You're self-centered. You're, you're throwing. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't judge her. He doesn't wag his finger at her. He doesn't point. He doesn't accuse. He doesn't name call. He says, I don't condemn you either. Go home. And from now on, do not sin anymore. Go home. Honor your marriage. Go home. Honor the vow you made before God in heaven. Go home and, and use your second chance of living to honor God. Jesus dealt with the sin. He didn't sweep it under the carpet. He didn't say, oh, we all sin. You know, your sin, my sin, they're all the same before God. He said, your sin deserves death. But I'm not going to condemn you. Go home and sin no more. I like how he, how he gave her life back to her, how he didn't condemn her, how he didn't rub her nose in her sin, how he didn't make her feel small and insignificant and unworthy. Because he, the, 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 the Pharisees and the scribes, they couldn't have done anything better for her. They actually brought a woman who was looking for love in the arms of another man. And they brought her to the one person who was true love, Jesus. 
The only one who could have condemned her rightfully said, I don't condemn you. I'm going to give your life back to you. But don't sin anymore. You've got you to live a life worthy of the one who gave you life in the first place. You notice also, he, he allowed the accusers to leave that day without taking, needlessly taking someone's life. He showed love to the accusers. He gave them a chance to save face, to, to walk away and not bring guilt upon them more that day. How does he do it? I don't, another story in John chapter 4 is amazing to me. You see, John, uh, John records the story of Jesus in uh, Samaria. And he's, he's going, it's hot. Uh, he, he, he goes to the well of uh, Sychar. He, uh, he sees a woman all alone at this well. This is another woman looking for love. She's, she's for it all of her life and not found it. Jesus says, woman, give me a drink. And Jesus says, uh, the woman says, what? You're asking me for a drink? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan? You're, you're a teacher and I'm, I don't know what she was. She was a troubled woman. And, and Jesus engages, she, he breaks the social norms, he talks to her, he engages her in conversation, he tells her some of the most deep spiritual truths about worship, talking about worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth, things that we hardly even understand today. And, and he's telling this to the woman at the well. He, he shows her great respect, great honor. And, and finally, he says, look, if, if, you, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink, because I can give you water welling up inside you. You never have to draw again. She says, I want this water. Give me this water. And Jesus tests her, and he says, well, go call your husband, and we'll chat about it. And she says, I don't have a husband. Jesus knew at that moment that he had, <laughs> he was talking with a woman who was vulnerable, who was willing to be honest. And Jesus says, you said right. The fact is, you've had, how many? Five husbands! Holy cow! Five husbands! And, and, and you know, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, woman, what's wrong with you? Can't you keep a man? You, you, what, you don't even, you don't, what, do you not know what marriage is? How you... you Stick with it. Your, your whole life, two shall become one, not two shall become six. What is growing on here? Jesus, he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't bring up all of her trashy past. He doesn't bring up all of her failures. I mean, in that one sentence, Jesus is, is summarizing her life. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with is not even your husband. I had a chance to counsel premarital counseling with a young lady. She came in with her fiancé. I had heard that she was living with this guy. And I wasn't looking to this conversation. I was really conflicted. She came in and she sat in my office with her fiancé and I said, so tell me, uh, tell me what's going on here. Tell me uh, why you're here. And I knew why they were there, but I wanted to hear from her. Well, I learned in the conversation that she wasn't actually divorced yet from her husband. And she's living with a guy who's not her husband. And they want me to do premarital counseling. I mean, it's like, how many red flags? A thousand red flags are waving in my brain all at the same time. And I don't know what happened, but this word 
adultery just popped out of my mouth. You know, just <laughs> adultery. You know, you're married to some guy. You're sleeping with another guy. You're living with him. She stood up to her feet. She, she said, how dare you judge me? How dare you judge me? God loves me the way I am. And you have no right to judge me. <laughs> you're, uh, let's just look at the facts here, you know. How did Jesus get away with it? I mean, he points out her five failed marriages. She's leaving us Not her husband. She's, she's looked for love all of her life, and now she's given up. Doesn't work. Marriage doesn't work for her. Now she's standing for the first time in front of someone who is true love. Jesus. And she, she doesn't say, how dare you judge me? She says, I perceive you're a prophet. How does he do it? And she goes back to the village and she calls the whole village, come see the man who told me everything I've ever done. That's what happens when someone encounters true love. Jesus was going through Jericho, Luke chapter 19. Uh, he, was, he was going through the city of Jericho. And he, uh, he heals a blind man along the side of the road. And I'm thinking, Jesus, use the moment. Seize the day. Here look at everyone. Hey, look at the man. Jesus healed his blind. And now he can see. Come here. Jesus, who can tell you uh, the kingdom of God. And, and, and Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus. He, he's off. He, he bypasses the scribes and all the religious leaders who, who have this greeting committee for Jericho Religious Foundation. They're standing there waiting for Jesus to come to greet him for the town. And he walks right by them. He goes to a tree. He looks up in the tree and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm doing lunch with you today. Zacchaeus scrambled. Okay, so Zacchaeus, the scriptures tell us he's not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. So that means not only is he ripping people off, he's got a bunch of thugs working for him that's also giving money to him. He's getting a cut from what they take from everyone else. So he's, he's the guy with the house on the hill. He's got the 12 palm trees. He's got the best wine, the best grapes, the serve. He's got what everyone else wants, but they can't stand this guy. He's a crook. He's the most hated man in all of Jericho. So who does Jesus go to lunch with? They're the person everybody hates. So the mothers would tell the kids, you know, shape up, young man, or you're going to end up just like Zacchaeus. No one's going to like you. Hey, you're going to be the most hated person in town. Zacchaeus, he just to name Zacchaeus, put chills down people's back. And where does Jesus go for lunch? To the, the, the house of the man everybody despises. They use it as a swear word. So the, the religious leaders are saying, wait a minute, he's going home with a crook? Jesus is going home with a crook! Then they, they start to put two and four together, and they realize, maybe Jesus is working for this guy. I know. Jesus gathers a crowd, and then all the people have been hiding from the tax man. And the tax guy swoops in and grabs them in the crowd because it made... Zacchaeus is paying Jesus off. Right? He's a charlatan. He's a, he's a fake. He's a fraud. Does Jesus care? You can put uh, the next slides like two or three down the road. Okay, one more. There you go. There you go. 
Does Jesus care what people say about his reputation? Someone give me a no. Love doesn't care what the critics say. People are more important than reputation. When, when Jesus actually transforms the life of Zacchaeus, what happens? He, he, the Bill Gates of Jericho gives half of his money to the poor. How many poor do you think are going to be left in Jericho? Maybe none. And then what's more is he comes to every house that he has ripped off and he says, I'm going I'm to give you four times back what I stole. What? <laughs> four? What? You mean I can, I can buy a second camel? You mean I, I can expand my business? We go to visit our, our relatives in Mesopotamia? Wow! I mean, the economic windfall that came to Jericho that day was enormous. I don't even know if, if Zacchaeus could have kept his job anymore. Certainly, he would have changed how they did business. All that's working for him now had to, had to take an honest amount of wages. You see, when, when Jesus, when true love meets a heart that is seeking. Now, let me tell you, how many of you would go to the drug dealer's home and witness to them? How many of you would go to a corrupt official's home and share your faith with him? That's what Jesus did. He went to the kingpin's house. The guy that was running the racketeering, the, the Ponzi schemes, the, the guy, the crook, the criminal. But you see, they're, they're seeking too. They've got a hole in their heart. Someone has to show them love. And what's the difference love makes in a person's life? The whole town is transformed. Another story quickly is in, is in Mark chapter 12. This one fascinates me. As Jesus was facing the offering box, he watched how the crowds were dropping the money into the... And many rich people were dropping in large amounts. And other, the, the disciples are going, holy cow, look at all the money that guy's giving. I, I, I'm, I'm told that it's like brass receptacles. You put the money in, big, clang, 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 clang. And the more you put in, the longer. It's like, you know, I've never done this, but I hear that there are places uh, where, you, where you can gamble. You know, put a coin in, you pull a little thing. Uh, the rumor is that when you win something, ding, 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 and all this money comes shooting out, and everybody looks. Everyone wants to see who won all the money. Well, it's the same thing. Everyone wants to see who's putting all the money into the shoot. And Jesus says, that's amazing. And the disciples go, yeah, that guy gave a lot of money. He says, not over there, over there. You see that woman? That woman walking out the door. Yeah, that, that, that widow. She gave more than everyone else. The disciples are confused because they didn't hear anything. They didn't hear clang, 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 clang. In fact, they didn't even make it. She heard two little copper coins slid down the chute with no noise at all. She walks out. But that woman walked out completely destitute. Completely dependent upon God now. She had nothing to buy food for that afternoon. She had no social network to take care of her. She walked out of that place saying, God, uh, if I survive another day, it's by your grace. These guys, they had loads of money. They were giving a little bit. And I don't know, I, I won't go into that. This is prayer that people pray in church. Okay, I'll say it. God... Take these tithes and offerings, and don't pray this prayer later in the service. Take these tithes and offerings, your brothers, the, the, the little bits that we are going to give back to you out of our abundance. The little, I hope this is good enough for you, God. We're going to put a little bit of the offering plate, and maybe it will make you happy. You know, 
blessed and multiply it, you know, like the fish of love, take my little pigeons and make it into thousands of dollars. You know, Jesus is saying, this woman, why do we even know about this woman? Jesus wanted us to know about this lady. He pointed her out to us because he sees what everyone else misses. He notices the people no one else sees. He sees the ones sitting alone in the church. He sees the ones that come in late and leave early. He sees the ones who walk into a hearts are broken. No one else sees. They have a smile on their face. Everything's okay. But he knows what's going on. He, he doesn't get attracted to the life of the party. The one always telling the jokes with all the best friends. And he sees the one no one else notices. That's what love sees. That's the next point, by the way. Another story. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is walking by the entrance to a city. Luke 7, verse 12. A man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son. And she was a widow. That one sentence tells us this woman is messed up now. Her only means of support has been taken from her. When she's crying in tears, there's not fake tears like the mourners that were hired for the funeral. She had nothing left. And, and the truth of the matter is, these same scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders were about to swoop in and take her house away from her. They were going to come in and say, well, you don't have anyone to inherit this land to carry on the name, so the church will, will gladly take it and we'll have it all for the glory of God and she will have nowhere to live. It says that Jesus, when he saw her, he felt compassion for her. He said to her, you can stop your crying. And then he went up and he touched the open coffin and the men who were carrying it stopped. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Love couldn't walk on by. There's... there's Lots of poor people, there's lots of funerals, I'm sure, but somehow Jesus' heart was moved with compassion. And he couldn't keep going. He had to stop and get involved in the practical aspect of her life. I, some, some years ago, I was watching television. I travel a lot. I've been in 41 countries. Now, I just got back from Nairobi on Monday. I'm almost home yet. Yeah, I think my jet lag has got me about to uh, the Maritimes now. Three more uh, days and I'll be back home. But uh, I, I, I want, sometimes I just want mindless television. I just want to sit and relax and not have to think. I don't want to read a book. I don't want to prepare another sermon. Uh, uh, I just, so I turn on the TV and there's, there's tsunami in Japan. Uh, boring. Turn to the next station. A thousand houses in Texas were burned with wildfires. Come on, can I not just find some sitcom or something to laugh at? Uh, and something else comes on, and then the, the 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 housing market. People are losing their homes all across America. They're they're devastated. Pets are going uh, to the to the the place uh, uh, the SPCA because uh, they, the the families no longer can feed them, and they don't want to just leave them to die. Pain and suffering, and I just want. Can I not just find something to laugh? Sitcom, you know, The Voice, uh, uh, so you think you can dance, whatever. I don't know. And and, and suddenly, I, I, it struck me, Tom. What's happened to your heart? What's happened to your heart? You, if you feel nothing, 
for these people that are devastated, they've lost loved ones, they've lost everything, they, they, they're, they're prevented from going to their house, they come back and all there is is a foundation and ashes. Everything they worked for their whole life is completely gone. And, and you know what? Something funny? Laugh, ha ha? I said, God, can you take my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh? God, can you help me feel what you feel? Can you help me know how to get involved in people's lives? And I, last fall I was speaking in Pennsylvania at a, at a, a memorial for 9-11 in the States. And, and as I turned the television on before I got picked up that day to, to preach, I watched the memorial going on on television and people were saying the names of their loved ones that had been killed. And uh, it looked like a 12-year-old boy was, was there and he said, uh, he said the name of his dad. And then, and then he went, said, and what he said next, it hit me. He said, Dad, uh, Jeremy's doing good. He's a good kid. It's a shame you'll never get to know him. But he'll be okay. Uh, he would have made a good son for you. And, and I realized that a boy, a son had been born to this man, and he would, after he had been killed. And, uh, I, I, I just, I, this tear just started coming down my face, and I, I, I felt pain. I felt sorrow, and I, and I thought at that moment, God, thank you for changing my heart. Thank you for letting me feel something for someone else that's going through suffering. Let me ask you, folks: When's the last time you cried for someone else? When's the last time you? You had compassion and pity so much that you were, you, you were sobbing with someone else who has gone through a painful situation or gone through a loss in their life. Or maybe you took them a flower, you took them a casserole, but when's the last time you actually cried for them? When's the last time you felt compassion? You, you couldn't walk on by, you had to stop and, 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 and be, be for them Jesus at that moment. Show love. One more story, Matthew chapter 23. This is, a, this is a very difficult kind of love. You see, Jesus was, was confronting the religious leaders of the day. He'd had enough of their criticism. He'd had enough of their plotting, their proud, arrogant hearts, their posturing, their abuse of his people, as if they were, they were like uh, wolves pillaging the sheep. So, so the remarks in this chapter... I, I, I'll ask your forgiveness uh, right now. I'm going to have to yell these verses. Sorry. I was just in Africa and Pentecostal churches, and they scream all the time, so you'll get a little bit of that. <coughs> so this is, uh, this is Jesus. He's saying, Matthew 23, 3, I'm going to rapid fire through these verses. Do whatever they tell you and follow it, but stop doing what they do, because they don't even do what they say. Do, uh, they do everything... To be seen by people, in verse 5, verse 13, how terrible it will be for you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Verse 16, how terrible it will be for you, blind guides. Verse 17, you blind fools. Verse 19, you blind men. Verse 26, blind Pharisee. Verse 27, how terrible it will be for you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. And looking beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead people's bones and every kind of impurity. And verse 33 is my favorite. You snakes! You children of serpents! How can you escape condemned to hell? 
Holy cow. Isn't that kind and gentle? Sweet? Nice? No, but that's, that's love, right? Jesus is love. He's confronting strength with strength. See, he's saying everything people were thinking but didn't have the courage to say to their faces. You see, if anyone confronted the religious leaders of the day, they could be kicked out of the town. They could have their business confiscated. They could have their house taken away. They could be shunned from society. No one dared stand up to the scribes and the Pharisees. But Jesus said, enough! You cannot treat my people like this any longer. They were powerful and influential. And Jesus had to confront the wrongs of the day. You see, he, he had to be a voice for those who had no voice. This is a difficult kind of love to show. To confront people with the reality of their sin. To say, this has to stop. You can't continue down this destructive path. This is love. It's a kind of love. So I'm, I'm looking at what Jesus did. How he demonstrated love to people. And I'm... And I'm thinking to myself, I, I am a merciful person. Or am I a judgmental and critical person? Do I tell the truth? Am I, do I have enough courage to tell the truth to people about what's going on and the, the sin that's destructive in their life? Or do I just say, oh, don't worry about it, we all sin? No. Am I willing to go places and talk to people regardless of what other people say? Do I care more about my reputation than about people that need to hear the love of God? Do, do I notice the people that are on the fringe, on the outside, that no one else sees? Or do I want to be with the popular people, with the rich people, with the powerful and the influential people? Or am I willing to go where, and, and do things that no one will ever see except Jesus? Because I want to show the love of God to them. When's the last time your heart broke for someone? And are you willing to stand up for truth? Are you willing to stand up for those that don't... Will you go uh, and, and be legal counsel for someone who is intimidated by the system? Will you go confront the, the teachers at the school, the, the coaches who are abusing their position? Uh, the, the, will you stand up for those who need someone to be a voice for them? So I, I looked at the, the, the scriptures and I said, Okay, God, I will try to love like you did. He said, Okay, well, here's where you need to start. Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven. Next slide. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. And I said, okay, I will try. I will do my best. God, I don't know how to do that with all my heart, soul, and strength and mind. I don't even know how to do that, but I will try my best. And he says, I'm not done yet. I said, okay. Uh, he says in John, 13, uh, John 15, uh, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another. Ah, they look kind of nice enough. They don't look too scary. I can, I can love my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, I will do my best. Let me ask you a question really quickly. Can you look at the person beside you? Just look in their eyeballs. You don't have to kiss them or hug them or shake their hand. Just look at them. Jesus says, until you are willing to die for the person you just looked at, you don't love them like he wants you to. I wonder, how many would I be willing to die for? And then he says, I'm not done yet. I said, okay, okay. <laughs> he says, I will, Matthew 22, 39, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Like that, 
that neighbor that lets their dog poop on my lawn and doesn't pick up, that neighbor? Yes. The neighbor that has a motorcycle comes in at 11 o'clock at night, wakes my kids up? Yes. The neighbor, the neighbor who says that Jesus came back in 72 A.D. already? Yes. Those are my neighbors, by the way. All of them. I have those neighbors. I said, okay, okay, I will try. I will smile when that dog walker comes by my property, and I will look at them in the eyes and say, how are you doing today? Don't you dare let your dog go away. My wife just glares at them. But I want to engage them. And then Jesus says, I'm not done yet. <laughs> I was afraid of that. Luke chapter 6, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Let me tell you, who does that leave out? Paul and Silas were in prison. They were beaten by the chief jailer. Of course, the chief jailer knows his job, right? He didn't become chief jailer without a really strong <laughs> ability to, to torture someone without killing them. But right to the edge. And he plied his craft really greatly. And so at midnight, Paul and Silas are doing what? They're singing. I don't think they had on their agenda, beaten, whipped, tortured, thrown in prison, 12 o'clock, Jesus coming, you know, open the doors. I, there was no 12 o'clock uh, schedule. They were just glad to be able to suffer for the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, an earthquake comes, throws open the door, and the, this same jailer, he's awakened, and he, he sees the doors open, he takes a sword up, and, if, and he better be glad that I wasn't Paul. <laughs> Let me just tell you. I would have said, yeah, go ahead, stick yourself there, you loser. You know, Let me, can I help push it in a little bit after what you did to me? No, but see, you see, Paul and Silas, they had a different agenda. They, they, they didn't see an enemy. They saw a potential brother in Christ. See, that's what love does. It changes your view of people. They weren't just trying to be nice. They wanted to bring someone into the kingdom of God, and that man that night became a brother in Christ. His whole family were saved, and they became pillars in the church in Philippi. Because why? Because Paul and Cyrus decided to show love to the enemy. You see, showing love is not just being a nice person. Nice is nothing. Nice is everyone can be nice. Any religious person of any culture can be nice. Jesus wants us to be Christ-like. He wants us to demonstrate love to others like He showed us. Non-judgmental, non-critical, sacrificial, compassionate, with the goal in mind to bring people into the kingdom of God. So, last story, and then I'm done. My mother came with my father one time for, uh, well, he, often she goes with him to hear him preach in other churches. And she always sits uh, near the front in the center. So when my father gets up to speak, he sees my mother. Uh, and she can wave and all that, pray for him. Uh, so she was sitting in a pew, and a woman came up to her and said, Excuse me, you're sitting in my seat. My mother raised five children. You don't mess with my mother. She said, why, thank you for letting me sit in your seat today. <coughs> the woman was not impressed. Of course, then when, when she was introduced as the wife of the world-renowned uh, speaker and a uh, guest uh, speaker and author, the woman comes over, I'm so glad you're sitting in my seat today. 
You know, you can sit there any time you want. And I, I, I wondered to myself, what if it wasn't my mom that day? What if it was a teenage girl that was abused the night before? She wanted to know, does God have anything for me today? She's, she's sitting there feeling dirty and disgusting and, and wondering, God, you love me. And there was a young boy who thought he had a career in basketball, and, and he got cut from the team, and now he's thinking that life isn't worth living. He's contemplating suicide. He came to church one last time to see if God had any kind of a word for him. How do you even know I exist? A, a young couple who had, maybe had just miscarried their first child. They're distraught, and they are feeling the pain. They came to church to find, does God love me? Does he know our pain? And all they come to find is an old woman who's saying, you're sitting in my seat. I think they would get up, and they would walk out and say, there's no love here. God doesn't know about me. He doesn't care about me. The one place that there is true love is among God's people. Because that's where Jesus Christ exists. You can't find love on the internet. You're not going to find it at the football game. You won't find it in a magazine, at workplace, on a team, a sports athlete. You will find love where God's people gather because that's true love. There's people searching for love all over this place and in this room. I know that there are people looking for love, and you haven't found it. You want desperately to feel that love of Jesus. And he's saying, I'm here. I, I, I'm here. And he, he wants us, as his people, to wrap our arms around him. If someone walks in the door, hey, hey, come sit by me. Hey, tell me about yourself. Are you new in the community? Where, where do you work? You got kids? Oh, great. I got kids the same age. Hey, hey, can we go for lunch afterwards, maybe? Uh, maybe we can get to, uh, have coffee sometime this week. You know what usually happens is people walk in the door and go, oh, last year's style. Uh-huh, yeah, she was not shy. Yeah, well, can't they control their children? No, wonder what they, who they are, where, where they're from. Hey, you know that person? Who's going to actually engage them? Who's going to be love to them? Who's going to be Jesus to them and bring them into the family? Folks, 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You show your love for God in how you show your love for other people. Father God, these are your people. You've called them out of darkness into light. You've called them to demonstrate your love and compassion and grace to those in this world of need and in darkness who are searching for love and they've not found it. Father God, may we help them to know you, help them to, to find you, the only one who knows, who is true love. Father God, may this church be a church of love. People can walk in here and find love for the first time. Answer to their needs. Of people who are willing to sacrifice, to have compassion, who, who will wrap their arms around them in your name and bring them into your kingdom, Father God. May this church be that church, that lighthouse that draws people to you. Not that does great programs, not that is a, a fancy worship, but that, that, that is a loving church above everything else. This is my prayer. In Christ's name, amen.